Hello, and welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick, and I'll be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate, tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners like you, so if you like what you hear and you'd like to hear more of it, please think about subscribing on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and more importantly, leave a rating and review because that helps other people also find this podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dror Poleg. He's the founder of Rethinking Real Estate, also has his own podcast called Dislocation, and today we talk about the digital transformation uh, of physical assets. And so all of these different assets around the globe, there are many ways that they're being utilized for purposes other than what they were initially intended for. And we go into the WeWork model, um, shared co-working spaces, um, ways that the design of buildings have changed to cater to the needs of the renter, the buyer, um, really lively conversation, all started and stemmed from an article I read of Drawers um, that stemmed from a conversation he had at PropTech and Pizza. So we also get into um, pizza and how pizza has made a digital transformation as well. So hope you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here is Drawer Poleg. So I am joined today by Dror Poleg. He is the founder of Rethinking Real Estate. Thank you, Dror, for joining me today. Hi, Nick. Pleasure to be here. And before we even get started, I, I did just want to mention uh, right at the top of the show that you have a podcast as well uh, on the topic of real estate innovation uh, called Dislocation, where you speak on hot topics back and forth with uh, David Friedlander. And um, before we get into the topic today with, with Rethinking Real Estate and with dislocation, um, you mind giving me a brief bio of what's brought you to real estate tech? So I, I started my, my career in the digital world, actually in the kind of place world. So producing nightlife events and parties on the beaches of Tel Aviv in Israel, where I grew up. And uh, through that, I started getting into the digital marketing and design world. So to promote events, I started building websites, designing flyers. And uh, then I started doing it for other clients and became kind of a, a one-man agency and then a multiple <laughs> multiple men and, and women agency. Uh, and uh, from there, I went to Australia, started a small agency there, then did that in China. And while I was doing that in China, I was working on a lot of real estate projects. And I'm talking here like mid-2000, so about 13, 14 years ago. And uh, one of those real estate clients kind of sucked me over into their business. And I started working for a large developer over in China. And we were building shopping malls and office buildings and service apartments and condo residential. And I started on the kind of digital marketing side and very quickly moved on to oversee the leasing and then to deal with acquisitions and then to deal with negotiating loans with banks and, you know, to sell our vision and story to them. And uh, ultimately also just negotiating um, exits from our assets with large institutional investors that we would either partner with or sell our buildings to. Uh, and in China, doing uh, retail and, and generally real estate, technology was always a big part of our business, like both in terms of things that we needed to understand, you know, mobile payments, location services, uh, the disruption of retail, the changing nature of work, uh, millennials, and, you know, which there are like a 420 million of in China and going on 500 million, I think in like 15 years or so. Uh, and, uh, a few years ago, three years ago, I had a crazy idea for a startup 
for a location-based social network, an app that lets you talk to anyone who is within immediate walking distance or within the same uh, building as you or within the same music uh, stadium or sporting stadium. So I built that and that's what brought me to New York. We had some early success with it, but ultimately not enough success. So explain what that is, Dror. What, what was that technology? So it was an app that uh, once you open it, you see conversations from people that are within half a mile or less from you. Uh, so it's something like Twitter, but only for where you are. So it's not about your friends. It's not about your interests. It's not about kind of collecting data on you to decide what interests you. It's just a tool that allows you to amplify the experience of being where you are. So you just open it and you see who else is there, what people are talking about, what business offerings are available, but only offerings that are again, right now with it walking distance. So not like, oh, let's take it, you know, here's a 20% coupon or something, but more like, oh, we have a free table right now. And you, if you can walk over within three minutes, then, you know, you'll have a table at an amazing restaurant that otherwise you have to wait for for another. And as I was exploring that, I kind of realized that I'm, I'm stumbling back into real estate that I couldn't escape. And uh, that's beyond the kind of narrow use cases that we were toying with and the small clients that we're dealing with, which is mostly local business owners and small kind of uh, street shops, there are bigger issues here that impact larger property owners. And then I decided to really research that and, you know, enhance my expertise in that space, which is something, you know, that I've been doing for like 15 or 20 years, but like to really focus on that. So uh, I took a few months off and I put the startup in the freezer and I wrote this kind of basically thesis uh, about the impact of technology on uh, large-scale real estate owners and operators. And I put it online about a year and a half ago. Uh, the document is called Don't Think of a Building. And uh, that reached so many people, I think about 50,000 by now. And uh, they started contacting me and asking me for help. Uh, so both large institutional investors or property developers and on the other side of it, different uh, technology companies, mostly early stage ones. Uh, so that's how I got into where I am today. And I guess I can tell you a bit about what I actually do today as well, but maybe you yeah, have a no, question please. about that. So today I run a consultancy called Rethinking Real Estate. We're based in, uh, in Manhattan, in New York. And uh, we do three main things. I mean, we focus innovation in real estate. And again, I'm, I'm not using the word te technology on purpose because a lot of the innovation is more around business model and business offering. Uh, and we do three main things. One is uh, executive education. So we do workshops with uh, executive from large private equity funds, real estate investment trusts, uh, large developers to really bring them up to speed on all of the different things that are happening in the industry, new technologies that are emerging, new operators that are, you know, that are making waves and helping them understand the implications of these things on their business, providing them with, with frameworks and roadmaps and kind of methodologies on how to even assess the, the implications of these things. Is it a risk? Is it an opportunity? Is it something I should buy? Is it something I should copy? Is it something I should ignore? Is it something that I should develop myself? Uh, then we have uh, two, two kind of more, more practical business lines. One involves analyzing large institutional portfolios, uh, usually for companies that manage $10 billion or more, and uh, identifying opportunities to add value uh, with the use of technology and, and innovation. 
And adding value can be, you know, immediate things like, oh, you guys should start using MRI, so you should install some sensor that's going to cut your energy costs or, you know, uh, or reduce theft or something like that. Or it could be much better initiatives like, oh, you know, in five years, 20% of your portfolio should be furnished, offered on a flexible basis. And then, you know, you should offer, uh, you know, free coffee every morning, let's say, you know, stuff that is much softer and less about technology and more about really transforming the core business. Of, uh, of these real estate owners, uh, some of it is even more, more kind of structural and financial than that. So I mean, uh, looking let's say at the real estate LP, so like let's say a pension fund that usually invests in private equity funds that then invest in real estate. Uh, so these funds themselves need to suddenly have new type of people working for them, need access to new types of data, need new capabilities to helping them basically understand what they need to do today in order to be relevant and competitive uh, in five years uh, for various reasons, which I think we'll probably touch on later in this in this podcast. And the third thing that we do, so beyond the portfolios, so get involved in, in the due diligence phase before large acquisitions of mostly commercial or mixed use assets. So uh, our clients like to bring us to be around the table next to their accountants and lawyers, the kind of traditional market studies that they would do with someone like, you know, or a JLL or a CBRE in order to bring a perspective that the traditional kind of analysis model doesn't take into account, which again involves identifying value add opportunities or risks that uh, that have more to do with innovation and disruption from unusual places and the stuff that, you know, looking at the rent roll or looking at the projects nearby is not going to tell you. So it's interesting because your, your company is beyond just you know, looking at tech, looking at finance. I heard you kind of mention the, the, the use of how to improve culture as a means of, of mm -hmm. creating a successful business too, which is probably an overlooked piece. But if it really is about making your employees happy and that's really the big drawback with your organization, it's good to have somebody who's actually willing to come in and say those things to you right to your face. Yeah, well, often people pay to, to come, come in and scare them. I mean, either to scare them or to scare their board or their management. Uh, you know, they, they understand that something is happening, but they need like a, a second opinion about it, or they need like a more eloquent opinion about it. Uh, and often as you, as you noticed, I mean, yeah, it involves much broader things that, you know, just, oh, you should install this or you should do that. I mean, people like to focus on that because that's the easy stuff. Oh, what should we install to be innovative? Uh, unfortunately, it's it's not so simple. I mean, to to really avoid the the pitfalls ahead and to take full advantage of the opportunity, these companies will will have to be transformed in in quite a meaningful way. And so, let's talk about some of those transformations. I think that's a that's a good segue drawer when we're we're talking about tech. And actually, I think some of the stuff that I want to talk about is is a culmination of of tech and culture. Um, mm -hmm. you, you gave, you spoke in an event. I'm not sure if it was one of these, these workshops that you're, you're referring to, but, um, of all things, it was called prop tech and pizza. Uh, and that's, that's really what stemmed my interest in talking with you is, is you really mentioned a lot of transformations that are happening to physical assets, um, with multiple startups and really established companies um, that are coming to the forefront to to elevate the the game, you know, so to speak, for businesses, much in the same way that that tech has been improving the the B two C and the consumer relationship. And 
What, what does it mean to you to have a physical asset transform into a digital one? So the, the event that you referred to, I mean, it's an event we had in New York City a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I did it together with David Friedlander and it wasn't a private workshop. So, I mean, because I do, most of my talks are like, you know, in closed events that for people that pay a lot of money, I try every now and then to just do like an open event that anyone can come and join and, you know, pay 10 bucks and have a beer and a pizza and kind of have a more fun discussion. So in order to make it possible for, you know, young entrepreneurs or for kind of mid-level executives from big companies to attend as well, and not just the board members or the CEOs. And uh, at that event, I started my talk uh, by looking at uh, two revolutionary companies that went public in, I think, 2004. Uh, the first one is called Google. And that company, I think, went up, let's say, a thousand percent since then. Uh, probably you've heard of it. And uh, the other revolutionary company is called Domino's Pizza, <laughs> whose stock went, I think, about 2,000% or something like that uh, since then. And, and, and actually, Pizza and, and Domino's Pizza in particular offers a really interesting case of how you can take a very traditional, very kind of conservative, very hands-on physical ingredients-based business and transform it with a digital strategy to create amazing value and more value than even you know a company like Google created, which is completely asset light, has amazing margins, uh, etc. And uh, real estate obviously is in, is in a position to enjoy the fruits of digital transformation as well. Uh, so we looked at uh, and a few different things that are happening. I mean, one is the fact that that co-working is no longer just for kids. I mean, it started as something that. Uh, it was for freelancers or for that dreaded word again, millennials, uh, or something that is a fad or like a marginal business. And and today we see that it's actually moving to serve much larger customers that sign two-year leases or five-year leases and have 200 employees or 500 employees. Uh, so it's not no longer something that you can ignore. And most of these co-working companies are very tech-powered or even digitally native. I mean, in terms of their site selection the way they reach customers, the way they manage their bookings and they manage the actual spaces and the way they track how the spaces are used and then iterate on the product. And by product, I actually mean, you know, the actual real estate, so, you know, they change the furniture, they change the layouts, they change the materials, uh, they, they tamper with the air quality based on how they see uh, that it impacts actual users. So kind of methodologies that are very common in the digital world, you know, like when you build a website or when you build an app, it's a never-ending process, the development. I mean, it's not unlike in real estate where, you know, there's an architect that designs the space, it delivers it to the developer, the de developer touches it up a little, then delivers it to, you know, the operator, the operator brings in a tenant, and, you know, the, the architect would never have anything to do with that space again. The developer probably not so much either, and, and the operator will come back, you know, when when the air conditioning is not working or when the elevator is broken or when, you know, it's time to sign the lease again in five or ten years. And, uh, and now we see that kind of digital mentality of actually constantly iterating, constantly gathering data, constantly using new tools in order to offer a better experience, uh, which is starting to take hold in the real estate industry. Uh, part of it is driven by the fact that uh, the product itself, I mean, what it means to have an office space, let's say, uh, the, the product is becoming more and more complex. So if in the past it, you just needed, you know, throw in some furniture and maybe put up some partitions and then you're good for the next five years, today you suddenly have to put in all sorts of sensors and 
management software of various kinds and access control system, meeting room booking systems, and, uh, and you know, air quality monitors that, you know, more and more employees are requiring. And, uh, and all of these systems are, are, you know, it's becoming very, very hard for me as a tenant, unless I'm a real estate expert, to, to actually figure it all out by myself, even if I get a consultant. So I need someone to deliver it for me. Uh, and that someone has to understand these technologies really, really well. Uh, and it's also, this is driven by technology in, in a couple of other ways as well, just in the fact that the nature of, uh, of work itself is changing. I mean, people are much more mobile, even if they work in an office, uh, their work usually, the work that humans do these days involves much more creativity, much more kind of spending time with other people in different kind of setups, so not necessarily sitting in one spot. So again, requiring movement, requiring coordination, requiring digital tools. Um, and, and and even more broadly, the nature of business today, you know, things are changing so quickly and, and will probably change even more quickly now once AI really becomes a, a major factor and, and automation, that even if you assume that your business is going to do amazingly well, you have no idea how much space you're going to need in five years because it might, you know, being extremely successful might actually mean that you need much less space because you'll have less employees. Uh, so, you know, if in the past business was stable enough to allow companies to sign, you know, 10-year leases, uh, today it's becoming much harder. And again, that's in the best case scenario where the companies are actually doing well. And on the other side of that, there's the fact that, you know, the the birth and death of companies, the, the rate at which that is happening is also accelerating. So companies don't spend uh, too much time in the, in the, in the S&P &S 500 uh, these days as, as they used to. So if you look at, you know, the pace of change in the last 10 years compared to how it was, you know, 30 years or 50 years ago, uh, the list over there is much, much less stable. Um, there's so many things happening. I can go on forever about this. What I find Some, interesting drawer is that you know it's it kind of reminds me of the you know seller's market buyer's market um for the we work mm -hmm. specifically it's it's you know the the renter's market versus the the rentees market and yeah. um that these these companies are trying to find ways to lure in these small businesses that are now turning into some larger organizations um going mm -hmm. to places like we work and i actually i had a talk on my last episode about these multifamily tech amenities, and it mm -hmm. seems like that's that's happening now on this the commercial these these offices and pieces too. Based mm -hmm. on your article, that there's a lot of companies that are offering these digital amenities now to try to lure in top businesses or top employers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean the I mean in the the residential space, you see more companies that are you know doing anything from just managing access and having virtual doorman that, that connect to, uh, to community portals and allow you to book all sorts of services from other businesses nearby or, uh, or even services from the building itself. So, I mean, companies like, you know, Hello Alfred, which kind of turns every building into a kind of a, a concierge building that you have people that can come and put in, you know, your groceries in your, in your fridge. Or uh, there's another company called Doorbell over in Boston, which is more of like a kind of community activation slash engagement company that kind of you can invite into your building and then they give your residents an app and then they, you know, they make everyone a little more involved in the community, which reduces the tenant churn and, you know, turns the building into something a little more pleasant than, than, than the building next door. 
uh, or another company called Carson, which has like a hardware software solution that takes non-dormant buildings and adds kind of, you know, both like a, a, do a virtual dormant solution, but also again, a community engagement solution and a maintenance request solution. And then like little things that make the building easier to manage for the owner and also provides a much better experience for the people um, who are in. But uh, I think it goes, I think in the best cases, it goes well beyond just amenities. So again, beyond just, you know, putting in like a little patch or a little gimmick, uh, the best companies are, it begins with really understanding what the customers want and need, uh, which is a way of thinking that seems very obvious and simple, but it's not very prevalent in real estate. Uh, real estate generally is very driven by the kind of, if you build it, they will come mentality. And the, the kind of assumption that, you know, the fact that we're here means that we're valuable. And, you know, we have this empty office space and we're just going to give this box to someone and they can do whatever they want with it. We don't really need to know so much about who they are. And we can have a different tenant on each floor and, you know, each one has a different style and, you know, we don't, we don't need to worry about these things. Likewise, in the residential world, uh, the assumption was, obviously, there's some market research going into it, but much less than, you know, in a typical technology or, or, or consumer good company where landlords build, say, a three-bedroom apartment, and they don't really think so much about who exactly is going to use it and in what way. So as far as they're concerned, this three-bedroom apartment can be used by a family with two kids or by a grandmother living with uh, an assistant or by three roommates or four roommates. They're going to build the same thing anyhow. And now you see new companies that are emerging and are starting to really, you know, fit their products into very specific groups that have specific needs. And by doing that, not only that they can add amenities that people actually care about and use, but they can even eliminate certain things. I mean, they can say, oh, actually, we don't need a big kitchen or even we don't need a kitchen at all because the people that are going to live here are not going to cook. And maybe they don't need a living room. They just need an extra room for another roommate because then that roommate can pay the rent and they can all pay less. And then, you know, they have a lounge somewhere else in the building. It's, a, you know, an amazing screen that they can watch, you know, NBA every evening, which is what they're into. Uh, so once you really have a customer in mind and you segment your market and, you know, adjust your product to it, then you, you create a lot of value. And, and, and technology comes into that. But again, it doesn't start with technology. It starts with thinking about the customer and understanding who you're targeting and understanding needs at a detailed level and on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, which uh, real estate companies don't really know how to do so much. So talk to me about space as a service. Specifically, the thing that really stuck out to me is just really innovative was, was the idea of these restaurants not open during the day and these businesses being able to come in and utilize that space. Like not just the actual location and what furniture and what amenities are in the building, but also looking at the time that some of these buildings might be utilized. Yeah, so we looked I mean, in that talk that you referred to, I, I spoke about a couple of companies. One of them is called Spacious, uh, and Spacious started in New York City, as far as I know, and they take restaurants, usually kind of fancier restaurants that are closed during the day. They're only open for dinner, which means that from, you know, they're only open between, say, 6 p.m. to midnight or 1 a.m., and for the rest of the time, they're empty and, and they're empty, but they have beautiful spaces. They have great tables, great furniture, usually pretty convenient locations. And Spacious said, actually, we can, you know, bring people to work here during the day. We just need to put in Wi-Fi and put up a coffee stand. 
And uh, again, since people are, we can acquire our users digitally and, you know, have a great website, have great online marketing, have a really convenient app that allows people to find us and come and check in uh, and pay us, we can actually start selling, you know, coffee, like restaurant chairs by the hour or by the day or through a subscription service. So I think these days they charge about 120 bucks a month, which is very, very little. And they allow you to have a place to sit every day and you can go to each one of their locations. I think there's a few dozen locations in New York City and I think already in a few other cities today. And uh, it's kind of like a, a co-working solution that is extremely competitive in the way it's priced. Uh, and it's a win-win because for the, for the customers, it's a great price. It's a relatively uh, pleasant experience. And it gives them a lot of flexibility and the ability to work in different parts of the city. And, uh, for the restaurant owner... I mean, you know, they get extra revenue. Uh, I'm not sure if the model works fully at this price point, but even if they have to raise prices, it's still going to be probably relatively um, attractive. The other company I mentioned is called Recharge, which uh, rents out hotel rooms by the minute, basically. Uh, so hotels, I mean, hotels usually have a certain level of vacancy. And more importantly, even if they don't have any vacancy at all, people usually check out, you know, a lot of the customers check out before 9am. And most of the people that arrive, you know, arrive at 8pm or even afternoon. And there's, you know, it takes maybe half an hour or 45 minutes to turn over the room, but then it's available for a few more hours. And uh, at the same time, because of the changing nature of work, we have more and more people who are just running between meetings or in a different city and just need to grab a quick shower or a nap or even just go in and, you know, take, jump on a conference call or record a podcast. And uh, they can actually find a hotel room that is dynamically priced so they can get an immediate price. They can click on a button, walk into the building, open the door, uh, spend time. You know, they can work, they can rest, they can shower. Obviously, they can do some other things that people have traditionally used the hotels for uh, by the hour, but it's probably not priced not priced as attractively enough for these type of use cases. I mean, people that just need that, I think there's already a, there's already an informal industry that probably caters to that. Uh, and uh, but but what it points towards, I mean, both of these things, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they're, they're going to take over the world, but they're interesting. But uh, but it's part of a bigger story, which is. Uh, the way in which technology really intensifies the way uh, space is used. So it means that spaces are used for more hours during the day, that more people can use the same space. Uh, another aspect of it, and, and again, WeWork, for example, does that really well, that they can stuff a lot of people into a single floor plate. And the average uh, square feet per person that they achieve is around 50, which is like a third or a fourth of what a traditional office can achieve and they achieve that again partly with technology uh, by designing really well and using interesting materials and providing an experience that is not just about the space that you have but the other things that happen there that makes it worthwhile to uh, to, to work out of a we work and uh that that does two things i mean one it really it, it unbundles the value of real estate from the value of you know from the number of measurable square feet so it means that you can in theory, like make much more money out of your building and not just have people argue with you about, you know, oh, you know, I'm going to pay only $50 per foot. And then if I get one foot less, then I pay $50 less. So it's not about that anymore. Uh, 
And the other thing is that it's in a way, because you have more people using less space, it's also kind of creating new supply because now there's more space that more people can use. Uh, or, you know, big companies that used to take you know, 10,000 square feet, now they only need 8,000 square feet. Uh, so it creates a vacancy issue for landlords that again, that for, especially for those that are not willing to kind of adopt new models or offering something that they that their customers appreciate beyond just saying, okay, we have more space to give you. And so it went from being about how the building was built. And you mentioned that with the, the actual design for some of these buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we talked about the, the time and being able to utilize the different uses of a space given during, during, you know, times where there's vacancies. But then the thing with WeWork that's really interesting to me too, is that it's, it's designed not not to squeeze as many bodies in there as possible, but it's given it's given this design where people want to be super close to other people because it's fostering this collaborative nature. There's excitement mm -hmm. and energy being built, and it, it's become a place where people want to have a whole lot of bodies around. So they're actually taking advantage of the design and the culture in a way that can you know best utilize the space. And, and I would even you know I would say even beyond that they also they go beyond what happens in the space so you know maybe in, there's an amazing kind of culture and experience in the space itself but also the fact that you have access to a network of hundreds of other spaces or to an online community of other people that you can speak to or buy stuff from or sell stuff to or that you have discounts at you know equinox because you're a WeWork member a lot of things that have nothing to do with the space are part of the WeWork value proposition uh, which again doesn't mean that the valuation is justified. You know, maybe they're, they're going to be overstretched, maybe they're overvalued. But there's definitely demand for what the, what they're selling. They are they manage to charge people in a way that uh, that prevents these people from thinking in the, in the old terms of you know, okay, I saw another office next door and they're giving me a thousand square feet and you're only giving me eight hundred, so I'm going to pay you less. That's not something that that we work here is very often. You know, so people go there because of the Kind of complete value proposition and if they want it they pay for it obviously if they don't want it they don't want it uh and, and i think we see them investing more and more in, the, in those things that that are less and less related to the space itself because probably the density that they achieve there will be some kind of backlash and people are gonna i mean they keep pushing it and pushing it and making it more dense i think in some people are going to have enough of that and they're going to want more space again and we work want to be in a position where they have other stuff to offer beyond just that no, the space and, and they seem to be working on that and once again the renter helps to dictate what it is that they they want in the industry coming mm -hmm. again full circle from from the consumer being able to drive what it is that gets produced and what technology is out there for for their benefit from a b2c side mm -hmm. it's it's happening now in the b2b as well yeah and again and that is driven by data system by ability to collect data to use it efficiently to understand how it impacts your numbers um, so ideally you want to be an, an integrated company that has all of these capabilities, not necessarily all of them in-house, but to have people in-house that know how to manage tools and service providers that, that give them all this information, just like in any other product business, you know, a, a car company knows how to build a car from beginning to end. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't just give you a horse and a buggy and lets you go, you know, you go and figure out what you know, where to buy wheels and then how to use it. Like you get a solution. And, and as I mentioned before, the, the product of Office is becoming complex enough that uh, 
it must be handled by professionals uh, that that understands all all of the different uh, stops in the value chain. Even if they don't manage all of it directly, they understand it and they know how to uh, to learn from it and, and and to keep changing in order to fit their uh, their users' needs. So tell me, Joe, what's what's the future here? I you've you've given a lot of really great examples of things that have that have started and popped up and. A lot of these new technologies are already in play, but what do you see as as the next step in commercial real estate? Hmm. So, I guess my answer also will not be very, not just the tech. It will be kind of a little broader. I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing is that assets are becoming more and more dependent on their operators, especially in the in the office and in the residential world. So the same dynamics that exist in the hotel world and to a smaller extent in the retail kind of shopping mall market are starting to govern office and residential market. And what it means is that it's no longer enough to have a great building in a great location. You actually need to have a differentiated operator running that building. Uh, so again, just like a Starwood or a Hilton adds immediate value when it takes over a building and not just because of the way they manage the building, but also because of the value of the network that they bring and the network effects that that creates. Uh, so it's starting to happen in office and if in the past you could buy a building and just bring in like a good manager that, you know, keeps the building running and clean and safe. So again, bringing in CBRE or Cushman or JLL, uh, today you see people like we work and like Cushman and like Breather and like Notel and like the Office Group, uh, that are coming in and are really running these buildings very creatively, like designing them really well and creating a great experience on how you book and use the space and creating community and events and, you know, creating symbolic value in their brands that the people that work in these buildings are, you know, they don't just understand that it's a quality building or that it's run by like a good company, but they're actually almost proud that, you know, I work in a work building or, you know, I work in like the, the office group building if you're in London and that the people that work there themselves are, you know, they relate to the brand and they think that the brand kind of reflects their, their values. Uh, that that's really high level stuff that again, traditional real estate companies, even the best among them don't really, don't really cater to. Uh, and once these assets are becoming more dependent on the operators, it also means that they're less valuable in themselves and they're worth more in the hands of, of people that have these capabilities, uh, which means that the people that want to own a lot of assets need to start having these capabilities or they have to start selling them to people that know how to run them better. Uh, which brings me to the second thing that I think is a major change that you'll see basically to be a real estate operator or a real estate company in the 21st century requires a lot of new skills. So whether it is in terms of, of, uh, of design, of how you work with data for, for your site selection, uh, on how you work with data in order to understand who your customers are and in order to understand how your existing customers use your product. Uh, so again, a lot of new skills. And uh, I think what it would lead to when I look at the market from like 30,000 or 60,000 feet is the emergence of these new ecosystems of sorts uh, that have all these capabilities within them. And you know, on the one hand, you can see, again, company like WeWork, which is more or less the prototype of like a 21st century real estate company. And that's a company that has in-house data scientists and graphic designers and architects and engineers and community managers and, you know, 
people with a very, very broad skill set, and they have their own proprietary technology, and they have a meaningful brand, and they have all of that under one roof. And the other side, I think you would see, and, and they, I think, offer, this is like a closed ecosystem. So it's all within one company. Uh, it's a very integrated kind of hardware, real estate, and, and the software above it. So a bit like the Apple of real estate in some way. And on the other side, we will see open ecosystems where very large investors like Blackstone or Brookfield uh, are both owning more and more assets and they're investing directly in technologies and in operating platforms and in different tools and, and, in, and in design uh, companies or in design talent to work together in order to compete with the WeWorks of this world. Uh, and you've probably noticed that, I mean, so on the one side, you have these very big kind of private equity firms. And on the other side, you have a startup that is financed by venture capital money. And in the middle, there are all these traditional real estate companies uh, that I think mostly are going to struggle to, uh, to find their footing. And we'll, we'll have to work really, really hard in order to remain relevant. And I hope it doesn't sound too, uh, too grim. Yeah. <laughs> well, not if, not if they keep up with, with all of the latest trends and really start acquiring those, those new skill sets in order to, to compete. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be room for smaller players as well. But I mean, I, you should avoid the middle in a way. I mean, you know, you can, you can specialize and do stuff that is unique or is relevant only to the locations that you own specialize in a specific category you know become the best at, at, at senior housing or like some other group that that, that seems to uh, to be growing but just to to try to be just like a run-of-the-mill even quality real estate operator that just runs kind of you know office spaces or traditional multifamily i would say probably not uh, not the best strategy and it doesn't mean that you're going to get eliminated or you know uh, or lose money but you're just going to see more and more of your of your upside flowing uh, to other people, which ultimately means that you know you you're going to struggle to uh, to make financial sense, and and especially when there's a crisis or something like that, and more and more assets will uh, will change hands and move towards those that can really run them more creatively and take advantage of economies of scale and network effects and uh, and data. And those those renters they have they have more of the power because they're demanding certain things and certain amenities and. If they're not keeping up, then they're they're losing a lot in terms of of demand on their side. Yeah, renters have it's it's the, the kind of paradox I think that we experience in the, in all aspects of our lives today in this tech driven world. That on the one hand we become more powerful and we have access to more and more of these tools, but on the other hand, everything that we took for granted or used to have for free now it's being monetized in some way and monetized whether it is by forcing us to give away our data every time we just want to talk to our friends or send an email or, you know, see the photos of our niece or on Facebook or, uh, or monetize even more explicitly where stuff that we use to do just, uh, you know, as organic social transactions, like, you know, borrowing something from our neighbor or taking someone with us as a passenger is suddenly becoming a proper transaction that someone actually governs and makes money off of. Uh, so the, it's, it's a double-edged sword. For sure. Dror, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. My pleasure. Thanks, Nick. And if you'd like more information on Dror and his work um, with Rethinking Real Estate, check out rethinking.re. And that don't think of a building. Is that is that available on your site, Dror? Yeah, it's available on my site. And I think even if you just Google think of a building, you'll find it. Perfect.
And also, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, if you're interested in his podcast, and I highly suggest you check it out. It's it's a great discussion uh, about trends that are happening in the industry. Both Drawer and David bring um, articles and news to the table. So it's a, it's a good way to stay up to date with tech in real estate. Um, you can check it out. It's called Dislocation, and I believe soundcloud.com slash dislocationnyc will get you to all of their past and present episodes. Yeah, it's on iTunes as well, and on Apple Podcasts. I mean, whatever phone or system you're using, um, easy to find. Perfect. So with that, we will call it a wrap. Thank you so much, Drawer. And until next time, we will see you later. Oh, 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 oh,